Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Free on the Inside Ministry. I'm your host, Minister Joel Lewis, and we're continuing to honor Black History Month. Well, Black History is your history, and we're going to go on with a musical selection, Lift Every Voice, and we have a different uh, take on it with Al Green and Dinah uh, Williams is going to sing that, and then we'll be back with you, Charlotte. And we got some interesting programs today, so please stay tuned in and check it out. Go call somebody. Tell them that there's a station on that's telling you about things at current events that bring them back to your remembrance about things that are old that let you know that you have a future, that you have a plan because you have been gifted and crafted for a time such as this. And we're going to go on with our uh, opening up our program here with Lift Every Voice. Thank <laughs> you. 
presented by Light Beer from Miller. Oh, that was great day. A rendition of uh, Lift Every Voice. And every time I hear that song, I always, uh, I get such awareness of what's going on today. I have such a proud, uh, a proudness about myself and my culture, about what black people have been doing and what we have done and what we will do. And I want to just make mention of today in black history, today, current event in black history, is a young man. He was a Capitol Hill police. He won the congressional uh congressional uh gold medal award uh gold medal for uh for heroism for being able to uh defend the people in congress uh and my hat goes off to uh uh gene good uh, goodman you know gene goodman went to work he was just a regular Capitol hill police he went to work just regular other day just any other day you know he made his rounds and he opened doors and he directed people and did whatever officers do. You you encounter them on your job when you have a security officer. And sometimes you may lock yourself out of the office and he got the keys to let you in. Or you may have someone that's uh, that you're uncomfortable with and you go tell them and they go and, and address that problem. But that day, on the 6th, man, his life would totally change. It would turn all the way around. And I'm wondering, on, on our jobs and me and you, well, we get up and go to work and we've been doing the same thing for Years after year, and then all of a sudden something changed. Are you up for that change? Are you up for that challenge? You know, this was a black that laid his life on the line, and it wasn't his first time. They say he was in the military. He was in, he was out on the battlefield, but yet he came home, and it was still a battle to be fought. And that song that represents his plight said, "Lift every voice." They didn't think that man had any, had a voice. They didn't think he had any talent. They didn't think he had anything about him that made him stand out. But yet, when trouble arose, and it was time to put his hand to the plow, they say he did it. He didn't just direct him to a safe place. He got out there in front of the of the calamity that was uh, uh, that was being addressed, and he maneuvered. And he directed, and he said some things to kind of let other people make way to a safe spot. That goes off to Mr. Goodwin and his family. And I pray that he have many, many blessings bestowed upon him and the staff, all the men and women that uh, that work on the Capitol Hill and the Capitol Hill Police. And that's our take on Black History for today. Remember, this is Black History Month, and so what we're going to do as Free on the Inside Ministry, a ministry to inform you, to encourage you, and to challenge you to be all you could be. You know, uh, where I'm located here, I'm in, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and the temperature is, wow, it's cold outside, man. But I, I deal with homeless people, and I deal with people that are just out of place. And my prayer is that they find a place. My prayer is that the homeless people get the provision that they need, that they get the gloves and the hats and the food, and they also get some assurance that things going to be all right, and people can you know, address their needs, their physical need, and also their physical need, and their spiritual needs also. That all goes hand in hand. And you know, uh, and it's a challenge sometimes because we say, well, I don't have the resources. I don't know what to do. And you write about that. You don't have the resources, but I know who do. Do you know who has resources? 
You don't know what to do. And that's pretty, and that's and that's saying something that we don't know what to do. But do something. Get with somebody that's doing other things. Get with somebody that's doing something. Uh, the call-in number to the show is 310-982-4126. You two can call in and voice your opinion and lift your voice up. And we're going to continue with our documentary. And today we're going to talk about the uh, black uh, men and women that's in the medical field because it's very important with the coronavirus going on and the vaccine that's been available and people saying that I'm going to do it. Some people say I'm not going to do it. It's a personal choice. But I can bet. I can say with insurance, I bet some black people is is out there in that lab that's making this stuff up. There's some black people that have something to do with this. You know, we got our hands on everything. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some stuff that you're familiar with, the our inventors of old. But we also want to talk about some current things that's uh, inventors that's going on right today. And so uh, just uh, be with us and, and just stay logged on and, and thank you for being a part of what we're doing. We've been doing this a number of years, but we don't take it for granted. We thank God for this opportunity. We thank God for you for being a part of what we're doing. And so we're going to have a short documentary on the black doctors. Listen, uh, it's making history. Did you know that more than 230 years ago, an African-American man, Dr. James Durham, opened a medical practice in New Orleans? Did you know that way back in 1837, Dr. James McCune Smith, also an African-American, graduated from the University of Glasgow, Scotland Medical School. How about this? The first African-American surgeon to serve in the U.S. Army, Dr. Alexander Thomas Augusta, was born right here in Hampton Roads, Virginia. To learn that and more, you should stay tuned for Help Watch. Anderson and this is Health Watch. In observance of Black History Month, I thought I'd introduce you to an obscure but remarkable bit of medical history that will surely get your attention. Our topic today is the history of African Americans in medicine. This incredible heritage is simply choice. Let me share just a tad bit more of the background of the man I just mentioned. Dr. Durham operated his New Orleans medical practice from 1783 to 1801. He had been a slave owned by white doctors who taught him medicine and who allowed him to work with their patients. Later, he bought his freedom and opened his practice. Yet the city of New Orleans shut it down because he was not licensed. Dr. Alexander Thomas Augusta was not the only first African-American to earn the rank of surgeon in the U.S. Army. And note that this was during the Civil War, the height of the Civil War in 1863. But he was also the first person of African ancestry to graduate from Ontario University's Trinity College. He attended medical school in Canada because no U.S. school would allow his admission. At the end of the Civil War, he was promoted to the rank of lieutenant colonel, and later he became the first and only African-American on the original faculty of the Howard Medical College, now the Howard University School of Medicine. Like Dr. Augusta, Dr. James McHugh Smith, who was a native New Yorker, was not able to find a U.S. medical school that would admit him. So he traveled to Scotland and attended the University of Glasgow Medical School. He later returned to New York and opened the first African-American pharmacy on West Broadway. No doubt, these were pretty amazing men. And today on Health Watch, we're going to tell you about many more and some rather spectacular women as well. 
But let me get started with my guests, a couple of women who are themselves quite extraordinary. I found a brief bio on my first guest on none other than the U.S. News and World Report Health website. Her name is Angela Mercer, M.D. Dr. Mercer received her medical degree from the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine and has been in practice for more than 38 years. She is the medical director of the Norfolk Community Health Center. A professor of history at Norfolk State University who specializes in African-American and Virginia history, my next guest is Dr. Cassandra Nubi-Alexander. Dr. Nubi-Alexander graduated with a BA degree in American Government and African-American Studies from the University of Virginia in 1980. In 1983, she attended an international graduate summer program at Oxford University in the United Kingdom in 1984. She completed her coursework for her MA degree at Old Dominion University, and in 1992, she earned a PhD in history from the College of William and Mary. Ladies, welcome to Health Watch. Thank Dr. You. Mercer Thank and Nubia Alexander. I'm so very pleased to have you guys on the show to talk about this exciting topic because I, I, I know you both so very well. And what I would like to do is to begin by uh, ha- having our viewers become a bit more uh, familiar with who you are, who each of you are. Um, and let's begin with yourself. And I, I'm going to tell you uh, right up front that I'm going to refer to my notes because I have a lot of information <laughs> in my notes that I want to make sure that I uh, cover. Um, now, you and I have quite a history, Dr. Mercer. We go all the way back to the great IT Norcom High School of Lola, right? Yes. Hey, hey, Maroon, and great we do about you today. Yeah. Hey, Maroon. <laughs> um, and you were also my, uh, my, my primary care physician. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, uh, when did you realize that you wanted to go to medical school, and what was it like being an African-American woman enrolled in medical school? Uh, my earliest memory of me wanting to become a doctor was four, and I don't know if I remember four years old. You used to play doctor with your... Yes, and I had a patient that came in um, the other day that was a friend of ours when we were children, and she reminded me of how I would um, pretend as if I was a doctor at that time. So as the years went by, I was thinking... Um, now, my father um, went to Lincoln University in, in the 1920s, and then he went to Howard Medical School for two years before the Depression came, and he was not able to finish Howard University or finish medical school at all. And so I'm thinking that he must have programmed me during those <laughs> early childhood years. So I really remember wanting to become a doctor from whenever I can remember. So you have a patient now that was likely one of your patients when you were four years old. Well, yes, that's right. <laughs> Pretend patient. <laughs> now, you have a personal uh, history of medicine based on, uh, on, on your family history. Uh, your father, Dr. James Newby Jr., was one of my own father's physicians. Uh, and, but again, he, he became the, what was the, the, uh, the chief of medicine at the Norfolk Community Hospital, uh, was the first board-certified African-American internist to have privileges at uh, Centura Norfolk General, what's now Centura Norfolk General. Uh, but your brothers are also in medicine, James Newby II, He's with the Newark Medical Center, yes. and your brother Keith, whom I do know, is a cardiologist, uh, was a founder of the Fort Norfolk Medical Plaza. Yes. But there are other doctors in your family. Give us a little bit of background. Please. Well, you know, I always tell people, on my mother's side, they were farmers. On my father's side, they were educators, and they were somehow involved in the field of medicine. Um, and so I actually have two great uncles on my, on my father's side, who were both general practitioners, uh, they practiced in uh, Pennsylvania and New York, 
And um, and their sisters, one was a nurse, the other worked for the National Institute of Health as a chemist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have lots of cousins who are either physicians or are nurses or pharmacists. And so that whole family is replete with those who went into medicine and on the other side of that. Both sides of my family, uh, they went into education. Um, I'm happy to to say that I'm the only historian <laughs> in the family, but it is still generally in the field of education. Well, that, 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 that makes for a great segue into our topic today. We're going to talk about the history of African Americans in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reflecting as I was working on this uh, script uh, how you and a good friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Tommy Bozier, who was formerly the chief archivist at Norfolk State University, you guys played a significant role in my being commissioned by the, the city of Norfolk to write, produce, and direct a, uh, a drama we call Cast in History on African Americans in, uh, in Norfolk and the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in doing the research for that, I happened upon a man, a man by the name of Sam Nixon, mm-hmm. whose story was really rather incredible. Could you tell us a little bit about Sam Nixon? Um, Sam Nixon was a an enslaved man who was um, uh, he belonged to a man who was a physician, but they but he primarily did dental work. Mm-hmm. Um, C. F. Martin, whose home and office was right there on Main Street, uh, fairly close to the World Trade Center today. And um, and apparently, and this was very typical, especially at that time period, if you owned a slave and you were a professional, uh, then you trained your slave to apprentice in your field. And in the case of Dr. Martin, he trained Sam Nixon to be his apprentice, uh, primarily in the dental work. And one of the things that he loved is he could send him out at night. And he would go around and do all these night calls for him. But Sam Nixon was very different in that he decided to use that to his advantage and to help the community. And so he secretly became a conductor on the Underground Railroad and used his pass as a way of pretending that he was out on night calls when he was actually negotiating for people's freedom aboard ships that departed the Norfolk Harbor. And a lot of the captains on these ships were amongst his patients, and that was how he was able Mm to uh, arrange for the the, the runaway slaves Mm -hmm. safely. And eventually word got out, this was about in 1854, that he was involved. And because, you know, Norfolk was a small town. It was only about four square miles. Portsmouth was even smaller, two square miles. And so it didn't take long before suspicions were raised uh, because, you know, wherever he was located, slaves mysteriously disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he got aboard a ship and left and eventually went to New Bedford, Massachusetts, where he completed his dental training and became a dentist. And then actually uh, supposedly entered into the war into the 54th Massachusetts Oh, that Regiment. I didn't know. Okay. Yes. Now, of course, I say supposedly okay. because he okay. claims that. I haven't actually <laughs> gone in and, and researched everything that he claimed because when he escaped, um, some of the, especially one white abolitionist female, uh, when she encountered him, she thought he, you know, that. exaggerated yeah. his, his life story. And then when he came back, uh, he came back to Norfolk after the war. 
But and he changed his name to Thomas Bain. Thomas Bain, right. and, which is what many people did. They adopted an alias because slavery was legal everywhere, even though Massachusetts did not recognize slavery. Legally, anyone could come in, and if you were supposed to be a runaway slave, they could claim you. Right. And you, though, could not testify on your own behalf in court. And that's why Massachusetts would pass these personal liberty laws that would allow blacks to testify in court. But you were still liable to be captured, and some of them were. And so they always adopted an alias so that it wouldn't you know, bring suspicion on them. But after the war, he returned back to Norfolk, set up his practice as a dentist, and then entered politics. Yeah, he was a uh, delegate to the Virginia Constitutional yes. Convention. In 1867-68. And uh, there is a street in Norfolk named for him, Bain Avenue, yes. that a lot of folks, they, they drive by it every day and have, have no, no idea, idea of their history. <laughs> yes. uh, and it's B-A-Y-N-E. Okay, I, I want to move on and talk uh, about a couple of women. Uh, one is Rebecca uh, Crumpler. Uh, she, Rebecca Lee Crumpler, the first African-American woman to graduate from the American Medical School. Um, and we've when we were talking, you mentioned Dr. Sarah Garland Boyd Jones, who was born in Albemarle, Virginia, um, and was the first woman to be licensed to practice medicine in first the state. First black woman. First black woman mm -hmm. to be licensed to practice medicine in the state. Uh, tell us about these two women, please. Um, most people, when they think about the professions of women, um, they think nursing and they think education. Mm -hmm. When indeed, after the Civil War and and one woman, one of the two women was born before the Civil War and one was born right after the Civil War. Um, it's during that period that women are entering um, education, but by the 1870s, more and more entering the field of medicine. And that becomes the second most popular profession. Because nursing really wasn't a profession. It was becoming a profession, mm. but it really wouldn't be a profession until the turn of the 20th century as, we, as the nation established schools for nursing and they professionalized that field. Mm. And so many of the, the women who were going in uh, were actually able to go into schools Howard University being the first one that had open admission. And what I mean by open admission is they admitted blacks and whites, men and women. Most medical schools were closed to blacks and they were closed to women of any race. And so Howard Medical School, a lot of people don't know this, graduated whites as well as blacks, yes. men yes. as well as women. Yes. The, the, the one problem, though, that women had was in the field of anatomy because of because of social social convention yeah, and so okay. forth right. um you know women could not practice or learn about anatomy sometimes in the same room as men and so that became a, a barrier to some degree for a lot of women and it was certainly a problem for sarah jones because i looked when she uh finished howard medical school in 1892 and she became, excuse me, 1893, and then she was actually licensed to practice in 1895. Um, score in anatomy and all of, the, all of her other scores were pretty high. And initially they didn't um, pass her, uh, they didn't license her, and then they reversed the decision and decided to license her to practice medicine because that's the one area that they knew 
um, uh, women had a difficult time passing because of these restrictions. Uh, let's talk now about another woman who had a uh, prominent role. She was, I had to use this term, but for all intents and purposes, she was basically a victim um, because uh, uh, research, researchers and scientists, um, without her permission, um, oh. got cells uh, from her, mm-hmm. and uh, there was something pretty spectacular about her cells. I'm talking about Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, such an incredible story. Uh, and I will uh, ask uh, you, Dr. Mercer, to talk a little bit about it by introducing uh, what was called the HeLa Immortal Cell Line. Yeah. The key word there is immortal. Tell us about Henrietta Lacks. Well, um, the HeLa... Uh, they use that because her name was um, Henrietta Lacks, uh-huh. so the H-E and the L-A. Right. Uh, her name was not originally Henrietta, but she was right. changed her name to Hen- Henrietta, or we don't know exactly how it was changed. But she was uh, born um, and raised for a little bit in Roanoke, Virginia, mm-hmm. on the plantation, which they say was her, her white great-grandfather's uh, log cabin on the plantation. Mm-hmm. And this was in 1920, I think. Um, the sad, the sad story is that she developed, after having um, five children, and the fifth child, um, during the, fifth, the, the pregnancy of the fifth child, she had a, a lump that she sought attention for, and it turned out to be um, adenocarcinoma of the cervix after, um, that developed after she had had the fifth child. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was treated with uh, radium treatments, um, but died when she was 31 adenocarcinoma of the cervix. And the important thing about her cells was that they obtained, uh, I'm sure it was biopsies, but they obtained samples of her cervical cells, um, some of the cancerous ones and some of the healthy ones, without her permission. Um, a physician there, Dr. Howard Jones and Dr. Otter Gay, mm-hmm. um, they kept the cells. The significant thing about those cells is they were able to be, um, to stay alive and to be used, uh, to be kept alive, and to be used over and over and over again for various research techniques. Uh, from what I understand, they they manufactured some 20 tons of yes. this woman's cells, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they led to over 11,000 patents. Right. Now, they used those cells to, uh, Jonas Salk used that cell, those cells to help develop the polio vaccine. They used the cells still today. Uh, they use them to understand how the body responds to cancer, a research and um, AIDS research and gene mapping. Incredible. The other sad thing was that the family did not know for 20 years almost that these cells were being used. And they, they found out when folks came to them trying to get yes. blood samples so that mm-hmm. they could continue their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got a cue that we, we don't have a whole lot of time left, and there's a lot more folks that I want to talk about. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Ruby Alexander, if you could tell us a bit about Patricia Bath, who was she, and so forth. Okay, so I'm going to have to... Okay, Patricia Bath, she was... Uh, uh, the first woman ophthalmologist. Uh, she was appointed to the faculty of UCLA School of Medicine, uh, Jules Stein Eye Institute, and the first woman to chair an ophthalmology residency program uh, in the U.S., and the first African American female doctor to receive a medical patent. So that that was that was pretty incredible. Well, there. you know, the one thing I wanted to say about <clears throat> all of these female physicians mm-hmm. that were coming along starting in the latter part of the 19th century on into the 20th century, is that 
most of them really wanted um, to focus their attention on healthcare issues having to do with women mm-hmm. because women's health was one of the last areas that men were interested in engaging in. And so many of these early women, but even those who were coming along in the 1920s and 30s, such as Dorothy Farabee, who was born here in Norfolk, who became uh, the head of Women's Health Institute in Washington, D.C., associated with Howard Medical School, um, is that they wanted to make sure that healthcare um, was provided equally to women, and most especially to black women. Henrietta Lacks, mm-hmm. black women's bodies had historically been appropriated, in some cases violently, against their will, against their will. And, and used to help the general population without being the recipients of, of that particular health care, um, uh, whether it's discoveries or inventions or whatever. Okay. And so even with Bath, it was important because she was part of that legacy of women right. who were going into health care. But she, was a, she came along at a time when she could patent her own work. She could protect her own mm-hmm. work and get credit for her work and be accepted by the medical field in what she did. And this was very unusual, and it actually started a newer trend. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's move on to make sure we include as many of these folks as we can. Uh, Dr. Charles Drew, when I was living in D.C., there was no way you can live in D.C. back in the 70s particularly and not know of Dr. Charles Drew. Uh, in 30 seconds or less, as they say in the uh, political commentary, uh, tell us about Dr. Charles Drew and, and either one of you can respond there. Um, well, Go ahead. Dr. Drew was big in blood banking. He was the mm-hmm. first to be uh, to find that you could freeze the, the plasma, mm-hmm. which is a portion of the blood could be frozen. And so he developed um, various um, techniques for uh, preserving blood. He also served in the Red Cross, and he was um, was the Red Cross then. But um, he was he, a, a, a president or something of the uh, the blood bank uh, of the American Red Cross. Correct. Uh-huh. And and the, you're talking about the myth of his death. Right. Um, it said that he was in an automobile accident and he had sanguinated um, because he was in North Carolina and not able to. Now, you just used a word that uh, uh, died from the loss of blood. Loss of blood, okay. Uh. <laughs> it was ironic, the loss of blood because right. they would not transfuse him. But you know what's also interesting, and this is something that Dr. Hoffler, who's, who was the, the uh, chief of medicine at, or chief of surgery, excuse me, at Norfolk community mm-hmm. hospital, uh, he told me that he was trained by Dr. Drew and that Dr. Drew um, had a vision the same way that Charles Houston, who, wa- who was a, had been dean of the um, uh, School of Law at Howard University, mm-hmm. also had this vision of establishing uh, throughout the country professionals in constitutional law and history, experts in that to challenge segregation and discrimination laws. Charles Drew had a similar vision for medicine. His goal was to establish a cadre of black surgeons throughout the country so that they could begin providing that level and that specialty of healthcare to all African-Americans throughout the country by first establishing residency programs in African-American hospitals because most white hospitals in the 1940s through part of the 60s 
did not admit blacks to residency exactly. programs. Okay, let's talk very quickly uh, about the, one of my favorite movies of all time, Something the Lord Made, and, and we have to do this pretty quickly because I want to make sure we get some contact information. Something the Lord Made was uh, about a gentleman by the name of Vivian Thomas, mm -hmm. uh, portrayed by Mo Steph, and it was in a movie uh, portrayed by Mo Steph and Alan Rickman. Who was Dr. Vivian Thomas? Well, Vivian Thomas, V-I-V-E-N, uh, <laughs> was a man um, that was born to uh, um, born to this, uh, a slave. His grandfather was a slave uh -huh. uh, in, in Louisiana. Uh, he went to Vanderbilt. Uh, went to Nashville, Tennessee, where he uh, was introduced to a Dr. Alfred Blaylock. And from that point on until um, he was he stayed with Dr. Blaylock for years, became his surgical assistant. He was um, responsible for training many, many um, surgeons at John Hopkins University, but never became an MD. His highest level of education was high school. But they did, in 1976, um, award him an honorary right, degree. Doctor. So he, he developed two, um, two major operations. One was uh, repairing uh, the tetralogy of Fallot, which is um, another way of saying the blue baby syndrome. Yes. And that, and that, in that defect, the heart has four different defects in four different chambers. And the second uh, one was, um, was transposition of the great vessels, and he developed the, what they call the atrial septic okay. And um, I actually am familiar with that. Okay. Sure. And um, I think that um, Dr. Blaylock noted that the suture line was hardly, was really invisible and not able to be seen when he had stitched the two vessels uh, together. And so he said it was, looked like something the Lord had made. Ah. And that's how we got the title was, of the movie. Incredible! I'm going to have a high school degree. Yes. He was teaching. Sir. Oh, okay. What a great information we had there on black doctors making medical history there. And uh, some things that caught my attention was the uh, the doctor that uh, did the blood transfusion of being able to keep blood until someone was able to use it. He died in a tragic car accident. But can you imagine the person that that? Help invent that and design that and patent that. He actually died for something that he could not even receive. How often have we fell short uh, of getting the benefit of things that we may have uh, helped uh, implement? You know, on the jobs, in the house, or whatever it may be. Your creativity is going unnoticed. But I don't want you to lose heart on those things. I don't want you to lose heart. Just keep on. You know, it's a song. It says, "Lift every voice," and they say that we're gonna fight, fight, fight. We're not gonna fight with the physical. Uh, uh, weapons of this world, not with guns, knives, and bombs and stuff, but we're going to fight with our integrity. We're going to fight with our with our standard of living. We're going to fight with our honesty. We're going to fight with our wisdom. We're going to fight with our intelligence. We're going to fight, fight, fight. And thank you for tuning in once again to uh, Free on the Inside a weekly broadcast to inform you, to encourage you, and to challenge you. And, uh, and as we go on with, uh, with our show this morning here, uh, we'll continue with the Black History uh, docu uh, uh, documentations and, and documents and, and bringing forth the uh, men and women that have been very instrumental in our development as Black culture and allowed us to continue. This last, uh, uh, this last doctor that they talked about didn't even have a high school diploma. Can you imagine? And he ended up being a surgeon and the chief of surgery at this hospital and didn't even have a high school education, but yet he self-taught. And he was so gifted and talented that they made a provision, they made a way for him. He, he got the schooling, he got the training, and he was very good at what he had done. You know, but yet, you know, and I was just saying that, though, because sometimes we figure I don't have enough in me. No, you don't. 
But if you keep on you have and add to what you do have, you can be successful. You know, I did a ministry the other day, uh, and it was saying that uh, the stripper was saying that uh, and we fall down, but we get up. I thought about how many times have we made some mistakes and fell on some things, but we got up. It said the righteous fall down seven times and get up, but the wicked, he stumbles and falls. You know, guess what? Those people around you, those naysayers, they look like they're doing good, but guess what? <laughs> they're going to stumble, and you're going to step right over them because you're going to get up. You know, and I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm talking to someone today that feel like that they just can't make it. Someone that feel like that they just can't achieve the goal or their dream or their vision. I encourage you today to get up, stay in the race. I encourage you to draw some strength off of like our black entrepreneurs and scientists and inventors and all those men and women that went before you that you too can lift your voice up. We're going to go ahead with our program here. We're going to talk about some black inventors. And I think it's very important. It's very important to always bring uh, uh, always bring to the forefront of these men and women that did something. You said, well, man, that was a long time ago. But yet it's still affected today. Those things that they done years, years, years ago. They didn't have an education. They wouldn't even been accepted. And guess what? People are using it today. And so I want you to take heart to that. There. We're going to uh, go on with our next one, talk about black inventors. Kick back and enjoy. African Americans have played a pivotal role in creating inventions that have had a major impact on our everyday lives, from agriculture to medicine. From science to technology, African-American men and women have left their mark in American and world history. Let's take a look at some of the black inventors, both past and present, who have left an indelible mark on the world in which we live. In the Stevie Wonder song, Black Man, the Motown marvel sings of Benjamin Banneker. The first clock to be made in America was created by a black man. Though the song is a fitting salute to a great inventor and African Americans in general, it only touches on the genius of Benjamin Banneker and the many hats he wore as a farmer, mathematician, astronomer, author, and land surveyor. But it was his clock invention that really propelled the reputation of Benjamin Banneker. Sometime in the early 1750s, Benjamin borrowed a pocket watch from a wealthy acquaintance, took the watch apart, and studied its components. After returning the watch, he created a fully functioning clock entirely out of carved wooden pieces, all at the young age of 21. The clock was amazingly precise and would keep on ticking for decades. As a result of the attention his self-made clock received, Banneker was able to start up his own watch and clock repair business. Every time a person punches into a potato chip, he or she is enjoying the delicious taste of one of the world's most famous snacks, a treat that might not exist without the contribution of black inventor George Crumb. Crumb, the son of an African-American father 
and a Native American mother was working as a chef in the summer of 1853 when he accidentally invented the chip. It all began when a patron who ordered a plate of French fried potatoes sent them back to Crumb's kitchen because he felt they were too thick and soft. To teach the picky patron a lesson, Crumb sliced a new batch of potatoes as thin as he possibly could and then fried them until they were hard and crunchy. Finally, to top them off, he added a generous heaping of salt. But to Crumb's surprise, the dish ended up being a hit with the patron and a new snack was born. Years later, Crumb opened his own restaurant that had a basket of potato chips on every table. Though Crumb never attempted to patent his invention, the snack was eventually mass-produced and sold in bags, providing thousands of jobs nationwide. Generally, when people think of famous African-American inventors, one of the first names that comes to mind is George Washington Carver. Perhaps most famously, Carver discovered over 300 different uses for peanuts, including making cooking oil, axle grease, and printer's ink. Despite the positive impact George Washington Carver's invention had on the South, the inventor never sought out glory. Instead, he continued to invent, discover, and teach in order to make the world a better place. Inscribed on his tombstone is the epitaph, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. Many of the world's famous inventors only produced one major invention that garnered recognition and cemented their prominent status. Like Garrett Augustus Morgan, one of the country's most successful African-American inventors, actually created two major inventions, the gas mask and the traffic signal. He received a patent for the first gas mask invention in 1914, but it wasn't until two years later that the idea really took off. When a group of workers got stuck in a tunnel below Lake Erie after an explosion, Morgan and a team of men donned the mask to help get them out. After the rescue was a success, requests for the mask began pouring in Garrett Morgan's other famous invention, the traffic signal, was also invented to help save lives. After witnessing an accident on a roadway, Morgan decided a device was needed to keep cars, buggies, and pedestrians from colliding. His traffic signal was designed to stand on a street corner and notify vehicles and walkers whether they should stop or go. After receiving a patent in 1923, the rights to the invention were eventually purchased by General Electric. Now there is one invention that he's less famous for. Morgan created the first chemical hair straightening cream, better known today as hair relaxers. Anytime you see a truck on the highway transporting refrigerated or frozen food, you're seeing the work of Frederick McKinley Jones. One of the most prolific black inventors ever, Jones patented more than 60 inventions in his lifetime. While more than 40 of the patents were in the field of refrigeration, Jones is most famous for inventing an automatic refrigeration system for long-haul trucks and railroad cars. In addition to the refrigerator invention, Jones also invented an air conditioning unit for military field hospitals and a refrigerator for military field kitchens. But his inventions don't end there. Jones actually invented a self-starting gas engine. He also invented a series of devices for movie projectors 
and for box office equipment that gave tickets and made change for movie patrons. Jones was posthumously awarded the National Medal of Technology in 1991, the first black inventor to ever receive such an honor. It's literally impossible to determine how many hundreds of thousands of people would have lost their lives without the contributions of African-American inventor, Dr. Charles Drew. This physician, researcher, and surgeon revolutionized the understanding of blood plasma, leading to the invention of blood banks. There are few inventors who've had the lasting impact of Otis Boykin. Look around your house today and you'll see a variety of devices that utilize components made by Boykin, including computers, radios, and TV sets. Boykin's inventions are all the more impressive when one considers he was an African-American in a time of segregation and the field of electronics was not as well established as it is today. Though he attended the Illinois Institute of Technology for a time, Boykin never made it to graduation because he couldn't afford the tuition. Instead, Boykin went to work as an inventor. He received his first patent in 1959 for a wire resistor that allowed a precise amount of electricity to flow to a component. Because he was able to create a low-cost product that was more reliable, his wire resistor invention brought Boykin to the forefront of American electronics. Consumer electronics manufacturers, the United States military, and IBM all placed orders for the resistor. It would come to be used in household appliances, computers, and guided missiles, and is still used in many of those devices to this very day. But perhaps most importantly, a version of his resistor was used in the invention of the pacemaker. That device, which keeps the heart beating regularly through electronic pulses, has helped to extend the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals. While home security systems today are more advanced than ever, back in 1966, the idea of a home surveillance device seemed almost unthinkable. That was the year famous African-American inventor Marie Van Britten Brown and her partner, Albert Brown, applied for an invention patent for a closed-circuit television security system. A female Black inventor that was far ahead of her time, Marie created an invention that was first in a long string of home security inventions that continue to flood the market today. 90% of the microphones used today are based on the ingenuity of James Edward West, an African-American inventor born in 1931 in Prince Edwards County, Virginia. If you've ever talked on the telephone, you've probably used this invention. Dr. West and a colleague, Gerhard Sessler, developed the mic, officially known as the Electroacoustic Transducer Electric Microphone. That's a mouthful. They received a patent for it in 1962. The device is used in most telephones, tape recorders, and other important devices. Another living legend, Kenneth J. Dunkley, is currently the president of the Hollow Space Laboratories Incorporated in Pennsylvania. He is best known for inventing three-dimensional viewing glasses, also known as 3D. His patented invention displays 3D effects from regular 2D photos without any type of lenses, mirrors, or optical elements. By studying human vision, Dunkley discovered that blocking two points 
in a person's peripheral vision will cause an ordinary picture to appear three-dimensional. Inventor George Edward Alcorn has an impressive resume. Among his credits, the African-American inventor received a bachelor's in physics, a master's degree in nuclear physics, and a PhD in atomic and molecular physics. Despite such impressive credentials, Alcorn is probably most famous for his innovation of the imaging X-ray spectrometer, a device that helps scientists better understand what materials are composed of when they cannot be broken down. Born and raised in Monroe, Louisiana, the young Betty Harris was interested in chemistry. At college, she obtained a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Southern University and an MS degree in chemistry from Atlanta University. As a research chemist, Betty Harris worked in the areas of hazardous waste treatment and environmental restoration facilities contaminated with energetic materials such as propellants and gun propellants and explosives. She eventually became a noted expert in the chemistry of explosives. Through her research, Harris obtained a patent for her invention for a spot test for identifying explosives in a field environment. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine living in a world ranging from hazy, clouded vision to that of total darkness for 30 years. Before 1985, that was the plight of those with cataracts who did not want to risk surgery with a mechanical grinder popular in the day. Now imagine sitting in a doctor's office without being able to see her as she explains to you that it may be possible to restore your vision. Dr. Patricia Bath has dedicated her life to the treatment and prevention of visual impairments. Her personal belief is that everyone has the right to sight, and that led to her invention in 1985 of a specialized tool and procedure for the removal of cataracts called the laser FACO probe. The laser FACO probe has increased the accuracy and results of cataract surgery, which had previously been performed manually with a mechanical grinder. The difference between the old method and the new invention was the difference between the use of highly accurate laser technology versus the somewhat subjective accuracy of a mechanical device. Did you ever think of what it might be like if your television could project an on-screen image directly into your living room as a three-dimensional image? Maybe not, but if it happens, you may have Valerie Thomas to thank for it. From 1964 to 1995, Thomas worked in a variety of capacities for NASA, where she developed real-time computer data systems, conducted large-scale experiments, and managed various operations, projects, and facilities. While managing a project for NASA's image processing system, Thomas's team spearheaded the development of Landsat, the first satellite to send images from space. Always with an eye to the future, Thomas began experimenting on an illusion transmitter in 1977, and it was patented in 1980. This brilliant innovation placed Thomas among the most prominent black inventors of the 20th century. 
NASA continues to use their technology and is exploring ways to use it in surgical tools and possibly television and video. Dr. Shirley Jackson, a theoretical physicist, has been credited with making many advances in science. Dr. Jackson attended MIT where she received a bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degree, all in the field of physics. Jackson started to conduct successful experiments in theoretical physics and then started to use her knowledge in physics to start making advances in telecommunications while working at Bell Laboratories. These inventions include developments in the portable fax, touch-tone telephone, solar cell, and the fiber optic cables used to provide clarity in overseas telephone calls. She has also helped make possible caller ID and call waiting. An anonymous source set up the super soaker. I got fired from a job once because of my super soaker. I guess that's what happens when you accidentally drench a customer when you're trying to get a coworker who ducks. Famous black inventor and scientist Lonnie G. Johnson probably didn't have that little scenario in mind when he invented the super soaker squirt gun, but it is one of the countless memories that can be recalled by those who are young enough to enjoy the super soaker after its release in 1989. Johnson's resume boasts work with the U.S. Air Force and NASA, including work on the Galileo, Jupiter probe, and Mars Observer Project, a nomination for astronaut training, and more than 40 patents but it's the squirt gun that he's best known for. As a child, Mark Dean excelled in math. In elementary school, he took advanced level math courses, and in high school, Dean even built his own computer, radio, and amplifier. Dean continued his interests and went on to obtain a bachelor's degree, master's degree, and PhD, all in electrical engineering. Dr. Dean started working at IBM in 1980 and was instrumental in the invention of the personal computer and the computer monitor. He holds three of IBM's original nine PC patents and currently holds more than 20 total patents. This famous African-American inventor never thought the work that he was doing would end up being so useful to the world, but he has helped IBM make instrumental changes in areas ranging from the research and application of systems technology to operating environments. One of his most recent computer inventions occurred while leading the team that produced the one gigahertz chip. Even in high school, John Henry Thompson was interested in computer programming languages, and he taught himself several programming languages with the goal of absorbing as much knowledge as possible so he could develop his own computer language. He developed a number of products, many of them based on his most famous invention, Lingo Programming, a scripting language that helps render visuals in computer programs. Lingo is used in the programs Macromedia and Shockwave, and with many programs that have interactive simulations with graphics, animation, sound, and video. You've benefited from Thompson's Lingo Programming language if you've ever played video games, learned web design, used animation, and graphics. These incredible inventors represent a small snapshot of the amazing men and women who have impacted our lives through their intelligence and ingenuity. To learn more about these and other Black inventors, get the book Black Inventors by Keith C. Holmes.
because what's some great information that we just heard that from our black inventors there. You know what? I was I was blown away about some things that I didn't really think. I thought about a black man with instrumentally making a, a resistor, man. Resistor is the foundation of all electronic equipment, man. You know, you have to know how to slow that stuff down and speed it up because of what this black man did. We able to enjoy the thing that we enjoy today. Your computer, your phone, and all electronic devices had a have resistors in them, and a black man started that. And then, you know, with the with the ring, uh, with the doorbell ring and the surveillance system, it was a black woman in the 60s, her and her husband decided to make a closed circuit uh, uh, video uh, uh, system to watch over their property and the businesses and things. And it was a black woman that was behind that. So when you go out and buy things, I want you to take pride and say, hey, I, my, my people had something to do with this here, and maybe I can add on to it. Maybe I could do something to be creative. Maybe I can use my gift and my talent to help someone else. Remember, John Washington Carter said that man had a lot of inventions, but he didn't get very much money out of it. Sometimes we just want to sell ourselves short. We think if we can't make any money, I'm not going to give it up. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And let God. We're closing out here with another great edition of Free on the Inside Ministry. Uh, be a blessing to someone today. Remember, but this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be proud of it. We can ready to get on out of here, okay? Well, what we'll, we get out of here, we're going to uh, close out with another powerful song here. From Kirk Franklin, them saying lift every voice because it's very important for your voice to be heard in today at such a time as this.
All right, stay in the struggle, stay in the struggle. That concludes another great edition of Free on the Inside. And we pray that you've been blessed. We pray that you've been informed, that you've been encouraged, that you're going to stay in the battle here until the victory is won. We don't fight with weapons of this world here, amen. We fight with knowledge. We fight with wisdom. We fight with uh, with a, uh, a calmness and peace that surpasses understanding here. I want you to stay in the battle. Don't fight it, don't fight it, don't fight it the way the world fight it because people are tossed to and fro and they missing the mark. I would just like to say thank you once again and please tune in to our show next weekend uh, same time from 8 to 9 we'll have another great episode. We're going to continue with Black History and we'll try to do something different the way Lord lays on our heart. But I want you to be encouraged by what you had heard today and what you've been a part of. So and, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Until we meet again, I'm closing out. Great Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you in the name that's above every name, the name that's power, that's strength, that's might. Dear Lord, as we think about uh, this time in our life and black history, dear Lord, let us be mindful, dear Lord, that our history starts with you, dear Lord, for in the beginning that you created us, dear Lord, and you breathed in us and you purposed us for such a time as this. Let us be mindful, dear Lord, that we're not in this alone, that you got the Holy Spirit that's embedded in us that leads and guides us through your Holy Spirit. Let us be mindful, dear Lord, we are to love you with all our heart and soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. Dear Lord, give us the ability and the wit and the know-how to do the things right, decent, and in order, to lift you up and you alone, dear Lord. Watch over us until we meet again. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And we'll see you when we see you. Goodbye.